I'm going to ask the, those of you who are downstairs and those who are on their way up can hear as well. Uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. That's where we will be this morning. Um, Maggie just read the first seven verses of the passage that we're actually in, so I'm going to pick it up in verse 8 and read the rest, which will take us all the way to verse 21 this morning. Um, We have been doing this Advent series now. This is the third week that we've been doing it. We do it every year. Uh, As I mentioned at the very beginning of the series, it's kind of a challenge every year for the preacher to come up with, you know, a a different perspective, different way to look at this text and these stories, because the stories don't change, right? And so that's hard. But it's also hard for us as just men and women in this world today, 2,000 years out from when the events happened, to... Yeah, with all that's going on in our lives and in our world, it's hard for some of us to be able to to go back to the story, but also to be so far removed from the miraculous. These are not just fictitious stories. This is not fantasy. This happened. And so one of the subjects that we've been looking at actually is a heading for our series this year. We've been looking at a series of what I've termed cosmic events. And so the first Sunday was the first cosmic event, the second was the second cosmic event. Guess what today might be? The third cosmic event. That's your sermon title for today, and we're going to get into that, but let me read the passage for you. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to begin, as I mentioned, in verse 8 and read through to verse 21. So read with me. And in the same region near Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in a field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you so much. Father, we thank you for who you are, mighty, powerful, majestic, beautiful, holy, righteous. We thank you for everything that you have done. We thank you for what you continue to do and will do. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for coming. We thank you for your humility to come in the way that you did, to live the life that you did, 
We thank you for dying for us, for loving us so much that you would give your life for ours. And as is already prayed, Holy Spirit, we thank you for revealing this truth to us, for speaking to our hearts. We need you today. We want, we want Holy Spirit, to go back into this story and afresh be encouraged by it, to be blessed this Christmas by it. And so I pray that you would do the work through the humble and simple words that uh, you've given to me through this text. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. The third cosmic event. Let me put the first uh, two verses on screen for you that we looked at, uh, that actually Maggie um, read earlier this morning uh, during the candle lighting, uh, which was a long time ago, wasn't it? Uh, Okay. That was... She read these words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So it's interesting, as I was preparing this week and looking at this, um, every cosmic event that's taken place so far, Luke has recorded historical information before we even get to it. And again, as I've been pointing out, and as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, that's one of the things we learn about Luke, the physician, the journalist, uh, the man who came to faith as a skeptic through the ministry of the Apostle Paul years after Jesus had ascended. Um, he, was a, he was a factician. That's my own word. I made it up. And just trying to record things. But this is intentional on his part, different than any of the other Gospel writers, is to always place things in history. It's important. It's why his gospel is unique and is different than the others, and it's important because you can verify these things. These individuals, these dates, these times, these places were verifiable in those days. Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, people knew who these men were. And, And in history today, we can go back not just in the Bible, but in secular or other historical documents, see that they are real. So this is intentional from Luke's perspective. And it's intentional so that we will see the truth of it. So it's a unique style. That said, the key that we see from the first five verses is that in that, God is the one who directs everything here. God is directing this history. It is his story. That's where we actually get the word. He's directing every event that we see in this story. The the reality is the Messiah, based on the Old Testament, had to be born in Bethlehem. He had to be born in Bethlehem. In the city of David, which was the city that David was born in, interesting fact, both Jesus and David died in Jerusalem. That's something we can look at at another time. So how does God get this young couple? How does he orchestrate history and get this young couple to this place, which was the birthplace of Joseph? A census. A census. This is not happenstance. This is God directing It's part of his sovereignty and his providence. Then in verses 6 and 7, we read, or we heard, and while they were there, while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for her, Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is remarkable. Two verses. That's it. (laughs) That's pretty much all we've got about the birth of Jesus. We have other details that we'll look at today, but as far as the birth of Jesus is concerned, that's 
pretty much it. Now, pastors, preachers, teachers, others have drawn all kinds of other individuals into the story, right? You all know about the three wise men, right? Like anytime you look at a nativity scene, they're there, aren't they? They're there with the frankincense and whatever, myrrh and all those things, right? No, they weren't. They actually don't arrive for, some experts believe, probably seven, eight, nine months later, following the star, they get there. But not on that day. This is pretty much all we've got. And yet it's awesome. It's remarkable. Basically, we, we read that while they were there, her time came. This is nine months pregnant, and her time to give birth came. She does give birth to her firstborn son, which is important, obviously. He's Jesus. She wraps him in swaddling cloths and lays him in a lowly manger because this is the only place that is available in town during the census at that time. Very simple. When you look at that, I mean, people sometimes get, you know, like swaddling cloths, right? I've heard swaddling clothes. No, it's swaddling cloths, right? And, and we, well, what's the special meaning behind that? Nothing. Not, nothing. Everything about that statement, about those words, is that this was just normal. It was just a very normal birth. I mean, it was an odd situation where they didn't have a place to, to give birth in a nice, uh, you know, condo or um, uh, hotel, that wasn't so normal, but the way he's wrapped uh, is very normal. You go to hospitals today, and not so much a, a swaddling cloth in the exact same way, but very close, where children are wrapped very tightly so their arms are nice and tight, and then they're laid in those little you know, warming beds, right? That, that's the same idea. The intention there was so that the child would feel like they're actually still in the womb, and even their movement of their limbs wouldn't wake them and freak them out. So that's pretty much all we know. All we know. And and I guess the point I want to make from that is is that Luke is very concise about this. The other gospel writers don't add a lot of details to it. Um, But I want to suggest to you this morning that's because this is not the main point that he wants to make in the verses that we've read. The main point and focus for Luke begins in verse 8. And it's when he recorded this. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So Luke, and and obviously by extension the Holy Spirit, I want to suggest to you, wants us to focus on this verse and what follows out of this, related to the event of the birth of Jesus. So think about it. I mean, the stories are all so familiar, right? We, We all love the shepherds and the three wise men, and it's all so amazing. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It is. It actually wasn't a probably a wonderful time for Mary and a birth for her in that situation. But think about it. Why is this important at all? Shepherds? Shepherds. Smelly, dirty men. About two and a half to three kilometers approximately outside of Bethlehem. Looking after their sheep. Not exactly the sharpest animals in the barn, right? Looking after these these sheep... Uh, they're in the middle of Nowhereville. Why them? What's that all about? We just pass by this. We read it. It's awesome. Shepherds is good. They come. Glory to God in the highest. Merry Christmas, right? Put a bow on it. Well, I, I want to give you a perspective on this or a little bit of an illustration. I, 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 it might be sounding a little silly to you at first, but bear with me, okay? Bear with me because I, I think we need to understand this in order to understand the beauty of what we hear about at this time. 
So I want you to imagine with me that it's January 2020. Can you do that? Like it's 30 days from now, right? It's the new year. But it's January 2020, and the Messiah has not come yet. This was the real story was 400 years after the prophecy of Malachi. I mean, so it's, this is a long time after that, right, of waiting. But the Messiah has not come yet. But the God of the Bible reaches out in January 2020 to some spiritual leader in our world today, probably Jewish because it's about the Messiah coming, and, and makes an announcement to him in a prophecy that, okay, time has come. Really sorry for the long wait. I know it's been a very long, long time. Uh, so um, make some preparations, and I'll get back to you. I was thinking about that, that if in this day and age, if that were to happen, uh, probably that spiritual leader would call together a team, right? Uh, there would be a meeting, and you'd have a team, and, it, and as part of that team, no question, you'd have an event planner, don't you think? Like, you'd have an event planner, and, come on, social media? This is the day. We could, we could spread this so fast all over the world, and... and uh, and, and we could really get the word out. So you get this team together, right? And, and of course, the spiritual leader, I, I have to specify, is in the city of Vancouver. So this team is brought to Vancouver. Of course he would be, right? I mean, that's just biblical. But he's in Vancouver. Just play with me here, okay? Just play part of this game. So, so he, he, he gives us nothing really specific. He says, just plan the event. I'll get back to you as to when this is going to happen. So the team gets together, and they're like, okay, so like, this is big, right? This is huge. So uh, let's, let's book BC Place right now. Like, we'll just tell them like, whatever else is booked is going to be canceled because this is the God of the universe. He's coming, right? And so, I mean, that's a huge place, 80, 100,000 people maybe, like, including on the field. Uh, the roof opens, which is awesome because like, oh. Like, he can come down, right? In, and, like, because we don't know how he's coming, but that would be the expectation, right? And then we could, we could stream this to Rogers Arena and to other places. It would be incredible, wouldn't it? Come on. Wouldn't you want to be part of that team? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't that be the way to do it? Well, imagine this. The God of the universe reaches out to the spiritual leader and says, okay, what's your team got for me? And so he, like, he lays it out, right? Like a really good... I won't use the phrase that, you know, I used to be. And, and he presents it really, really well, right? And, and then the God of the universe essentially looks at this guy and says, um, uh, or says to the spiritual leader, um, listen, um, how about this? I was actually thinking more, <laughs> I was thinking of Squamish, but more like somewhere like Chilliwack, you know? And, uh, and, and, and listen, what I was thinking is, just get one of those searchlights. Remember, they used to use those many years ago at, at the premiere of a movie? And, and, and put the searchlight in yarrow. Silly, right? Silly. I think that most of us would say that that is crazy. It's silly. So why does the God of the universe of everything do it this way? Why? This is the most, really, when we look at Christmas and everything that God has done in, in his way of salvation for us is to ask, why is he doing it? it? It is almost, well, first of all, he's God. He will do whatever he's going to do, whatever way he wants. But the reason why he's doing this is clearly this. He wants us to truly know him. He wants us to know who he is, what he's like, and at the end of the day, his heart. He wants our hearts. So he chooses to make the greatest announcement of all time, the most important tweet of all time, to where and to who? Shepherds. As I said, dirty, smelly men who spend all their days with these not-too-bright sheep. Humble folk, don't you think? Very humble people. So this is when the third 
cosmic event happens. I think most of us would be thinking, well, whoa, whoa, back up, Glenn, the birth of Jesus. That not that? It's a cosmic event. But in this story, this is where the cosmic event happens. So one of the other things we could do, though, when we get to this is, okay, I've, I've kind of p- painted a picture about the shepherds, which I think is quite accurate. But sometimes we could do this. Pastors have done this. I've probably done this in the past, is we spend time in this kind of a message talking about shepherds. Because they're, they're, they're not just these dirty, smelly guys in the field that God shows up to, um, but they're also in Scripture, it's speaking about pastors, right, who are shepherds of flocks, preferably uh, not so smelly, um, but also the great shepherd who is Jesus Christ. So there's a message there too, right? We, we, could, we could delve deeply into that and so forth. And Well, we're not going to do that, and the reason for that is... Um, that's not what this is about. That's not the point here at all. No, this is an announcement, an announcement that is being made about what has already happened in Bethlehem, about the birth of the Son of God, about the Messiah. And God chooses to make this announcement, the first ever, to these shepherds who are just a few kilometers away. So what else might this tell us about God? and why he does things this way. Well, how about this? Who do you think most people would have thought would be the people that God would make this announcement to, right? Like in my little fictitious illustration, I made it out to be this great spiritual leader. And of course, the the grandiose, I'm going to use the word, marketers in our world today to get the word out, right? And, And so actually, one of the things we see here is it's not these guys. In fact, the, the people that these guys are not is not who God speaks to. They're not the elite religious leaders of the day. They, they are not the social leaders of the day. They're not the most influential. Certainly, none of them were even likely on Facebook or had a Twitter account. Okay, I was stretching that one a little bit. But they, they, they weren't very influential in that culture because of their position and status in the world, but they didn't really go to town much, didn't have a lot of friends in that way. No, quite the opposite. No, it's quite the opposite. So I'm wondering at this point, are are you beginning to feel like this story bodes well for you and me? For who Jesus came for? Earlier, Luke gave us a hint of this aspect of God's character. It's beautiful. Uh, and heart. When, when Mary, you'll remember after she had uh, um, been told by the angel that she was going to conceive and that her aunt Elizabeth had already conceived, she runs to her aunt. She finds out it's true. Her aunt, who was barren, uh, is, is like in her 80s and 90s, but she's now six months pregnant with, the, uh, uh, with John the Baptist. And, and then Mary breaks out into this beautiful song of praise to God. And she gives us a hint exactly of what we've been talking about. In Luke chapter 1, verses 51 to 53, part of her song is this. He has shown strength with his arm. He has, look, scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This is her song of praise, but it's also a song of of prophetic fulfillment of what God said he would do, but also what Jesus will be like and who will actually 
trust and place their faith in Jesus Christ. What kind of people will these people be? Shepherds. These kind of shepherds. So this kind of tells us who God sent his son for, certainly, right? He sent his son for people like this, for people like you and I. I hope you can see that. But does not the way that Jesus arrives also tell us a lot about his heart? It does, right? I mean, he comes as a baby, as a child, not as this grandiose man on a cloud coming through the roof of Bia. No, as a baby born. And there's obviously deep, deep spiritual reasons why God had to be born of a virgin and to be born that way to fully identify and be like us. So there's really an obviously clearly important. But he's born to a, a, a couple of no special reputation, made special because they were chosen by God, in an, a manger because there was no better place for them or available at that time. And so again, the, the questions are, is that the best God can do? <laughs> was, was he just a victim of circumstances? No. This is who he is. This is the way he does things, is doing things, and will do things. Then we read, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So let me now describe the scene for us this way. It's the dark of night. The shepherds are in the field with their sheep, uh, they're probably staying awake late, maybe on uh, rotation to make sure that there are no wolves coming around because that's what shepherds do in the fields, in the dark, at night to protect their, 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 um, their stock, their livestock. And then this angel appears. Now, it's likely Gabriel who has appeared to both Zechariah and Mary, not mentioned here, but most likely, even though he's not mentioned in the text. And so we know that he's truly a, 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 an imposing figure, right? He's powerful, and he reveals himself. He's a spirit being, but he reveals himself in such a way that he is visible and sees, and people can see him. And we've seen before that this imposing figure has struck fear into people's minds and hearts. But then we read this, and it's the most important phrase in this, this verse is this. There's the glory of the Lord here that shines all around them. And so we need to ask the question, what is that? What do you think that is, this glory of the Lord? Is it literally like not the bright spotlight that's shining up into the air, but shining down from from heaven and and illuminating all around the shepherds and illuminating the field? Is that possibly what it is? No. No. Throughout Scripture, whenever the glory of the Lord is mentioned, Uh, It is describing one of his most significant attributes, which is still hard to define. It's hard to define. It's like like trying to define beauty, right? It's in the eye of the beholder, you know, like to try to define beauty, what, what, you know, how I would define beauty, how you would, it would be difficult. We'd come up with all great kinds of great ideas, but it would be difficult. The best way that I found, and also uh, those that I've read, um, to understand the glory of God is to compare it or contrast it with his holiness, how holy he is. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet who prophesied often about the coming of Jesus in the way that he did, the light of the world, which we will be reading from tomorrow night, 
Um, when we read about him, when he reads about, or pardon me, speaks about that, we see this from Isaiah 6.3, one of the things that he says as, as the angels, and he as a prophet is seeing this, as the angels who are surrounding the throne of God are singing this one to another and publicly, and Isaiah sees it and records it and says this, and they, the angels, called to one another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory, right? And so the, 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 the understanding of His glory is, is by looking at a comparison or a contrast with uh, His holiness. Now, when you read that verse, you look at that verse and you say, well, okay, uh, holy, 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 why does it not end with the whole earth is full of His holiness? Would make sense, wouldn't it? Well, this is a good verse to give us the understanding that... Um, his holiness is directly related to His glory. And, and when we read it three times, holy, 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 in the Hebrew or in the Greek for that matter, when words are repeated like that, it means it's above, it's, it's beyond. It's perfect. So that's one way that we can understand this, this phrase, the glory of the Lord. And so the truth is also this. When you read Scripture, not just when angelic beings show up and they create fear, which, you know, come on, it would. He would. If Gabriel showed up in this room today, we'd be like, what is that? The reality is in Scripture, whenever we're talking about the glory of God, um, people fall down on their faces when they come face to face with it. They buckle to their knees. They, they, they cannot stand to be in the presence of the glory of the Lord. It's remarkable when you think about it. And so it's perfect. So the truth is, no one can stand being in the presence of the glory of God because why? Well, we, we've been looking at it this way all the way through our Advent series. Everything we see in the Scripture tells us four things. Who God is, what He has done, who then that means we are, and out of that how then we should live. And when we come, when any of us were, were, were or do come directly into the presence of the glory of God, which does and can happen today, we recognize one thing about ourselves compared to Him. Three-letter word, sin. That's what the glory of the Lord is intended to pre- present to us and also bring out of us, is the realization of truly who we are. So that's why we read the words here, great fear. It's different in this text and passage this week. So have you noticed this also? In the past three weeks, in these three cosmic events, the the same patterns are amazing in the Scripture. As I've already mentioned today, there's the historical setting. Luke starts off with, with the historical setting part of it. Each cosmic event it involves the angel Gabriel, as I suggested, the first two for sure because he's named, but at least a powerful angel. And each involves fear. Zechariah was fearful. Mary at first was fearful, right? So it's very consistent, but there is this difference. This is great fear. Great fear has come over these shepherds. And that great fear is the knowledge that God is holy, He is just. He is perfectly righteous in every way. And when you and I encounter that, we are brought face to face with the glory of God. You will experience great fear. The same that these lowly shepherds 
did on that day in that field. So I have an important question for you. Have you? Have you experienced the glory of the Lord? We find a great example of this earlier in the Gospel of Luke. Great example. Uh, you'll remember there was a time when Peter was in his boat. Actually, Jesus got in the boat with Peter and said, hey, cast out a little bit. Because why? Because, well, Jesus didn't have one of these mics like I did. And there was a bunch of people on the beach, and he wanted his voice to carry over the waters. And so Peter and Jesus go out in the boat, and Jesus is preaching his sermon. He finishes his sermon. All's good. And then he looks at Peter, and he says, put out the sea. Let's go get some fish. <laughs> and Peter, of course, being the wiser at that time anyway, man that he was, was like, Lord, we fished all night. Like, this is my business. Like, I know what I'm doing. We fished all night. There's no fish out there. Jesus says, let's go. Let's go catch some fish. And, well, you know the story, right? He, they go out, and like maybe a kilometer, and, and their nets are so full of fish that Peter's like calling all of his business partners to bring their boats, to bring all of the fish right back. And, and Peter's in the boat with Jesus, and we read these words. But when Simon Peter saw it, Did I go past it? There it is. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You've had the greatest catch of all time. Jesus is in the boat with you, and an amazing miracle is happening. You are prompted to to say, what? Like, I'd be like, okay, free sushi coming up, like coming... I'm a sinner. This is the glory of the Lord. This is what it produces. So Peter experienced the glory of the Lord in that boat. He came face to face with the reality that his self-sufficiency wasn't sufficient enough. It's awesome. It was no match for the glory of the Lord. And I'm going to ask it again. Have you? Have you experienced that? Friends, we all need to acknowledge our great fear before a holy and righteous and perfect and beautiful and wonderful God. Amen? We need to to confess that. So now, once again, we learn here in this text another wonderful, actually no fantastic thing, uh, a reason why Jesus came. There is good news. There's great fear, but there's really good news. And then the angel said to them, fear not. Okay, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So I I would suggest to you in these uh, two verses, we have the most tweetable verse of all time, don't we? Like, come on, if you're going to put something on your Facebook page at Christmas, uh, this has got to be it, right? This is so beautiful about the birth of Christ. The angel exclaims, Fear not. Fear not. Why? Because I've got really good news for you. And that news is, is that, that this good news will produce a joy in you that is greater than any fear that you might have. It will, it will overshadow any fear that you might have. And, and also the good news is this. It's for everyone. It's not just for a select group of people. Shepherds, religious elite, successful, not so successful. It's for everyone. That's good news. That's really, really good news. So this is the reason Jesus came, actually, one of the main reasons why he came, and that is to take away all of our fear. 
not just a little bit, not just some. He came to take away our fear. He came to save us from our sins, that which has been provoked in us, that fear that's been provoked in us from and by the glory of God. So besides this large angelic beings and the glory of the Lord, let me ask you this. What do you fear? What do you and I fear? Uh, one of the, the questions I've always suggested to people that you ask yourself that, that'll point you towards the issues that you're not believing about the gospel or what you've got wrong about who God is and who you are is to ask yourself this question, myself this question. What's keeping you up at night? Anybody? I'm the only one with this affliction, right? What's keeping you up at night? It's fear. Guaranteed it's fear. But what? Like, so, so you know, money. What are you fearful about? Well, my job's at stake. I don't know. I'm, I don't have enough. Sometimes people fear because they have too much, right? What am I going to do with all this? Yeah different kind of fear, but it's fear. But, but underneath that is, is, is a deeper fear, and it's, it's the fear of, of loss. It's the fear of not having enough. It's the, these are serious fears. Um, what about, uh, you know, uh, I might not be able to afford my house or my, my mortgage payments or my, my vehicles or whatever, and I'm not going to be able to take care of others. So there's great fear in, in financial aspects, but there's also uh, maybe great fear related to relationship issues hmm. or health issues. Or let's be really clear here. Even if you're young or older, death? Great fear. Great fear can come upon us. So the question you and I need to ask when we are worrying about either of those things or any of those things at night or throughout this time, it, throughout the day for that matter, is, is this. What am I not believing about what God says or God says who he is? What am I not believing? Fear not. Good news. Great joy. The Savior has come. What am I not believing about who God is and what He has done and what He has promised. And what am I believing about myself and my own efforts that are false? Peter. <laughs> the birth of Jesus tells us that we are to fear not because Jesus has come to take away all our fears. Now, some of you might say, you make it sound so easy, preacher. <laughs> like, just, I, for me, it's not like, it's like, you, just because you tell me to stop fearing, like, that, that's, that's not helpful. I can't just stop because someone tells me, or even if I'm praying at night and tell myself to stop. You ever notice that too, right? It's just not helpful sometimes, right? You make it sound so easy. Okay, I agree with that. But again, it gets better. Once again, the shepherds are filled with this great fear, and we've just learned that we all should be, we should all be filled with that same kind of great fear when we come face to face with the glory of God. But the angel says we are to fear not, and then why? Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we fear? Well, well, we see it right here. This is the key as we wind up this morning. There are three reasons. There are three reasons why we should fear not. First, we've already said it's because Jesus has come to take away all of our fears, right? But secondly, hear this. Jesus came as a child, as a baby, as a human being, as a man in his carnation 
and coming the way he did, he, by doing that, entered directly into our fear. He became human. He experienced everything that you and I experienced. Now, somebody would say, well, Jesus never cared about money. True, because he had none. (laughs) It's very true, but we don't actually know that, that he didn't have all kinds of fears. I think most of you know the rest of the story about Jesus, right? The virgin birth and Christmas is awesome, but most of us know the rest of the story about his life, his death, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. Is not one of the things that you and I fear most, that people will not like us, will not love us, might actually despise us, hate us because of their anger with us? Do you not fear that? from time to time? Well, that same prophet Isaiah, I'm just going to read these words to you. He wrote these a long time before Jesus came, describing exactly the kind of fear that Jesus would endure. He entered into this fear. Isaiah 53, 3 to 5 says this, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. This is speaking about him, you know, thousand years before he comes. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. So people see you on the street, and they no longer like you. They don't talk to you. They've disenfranchised you, and they're like, oh, I don't even want to look at that person. He experienced that. He experienced that. And he was esteemed not. Crucify him. Crucify him, crucify him, said just about everyone. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us back peace. Very important word. And with his wounds, we are healed. So yes, Jesus entered our fears, and that should give us great comfort. But there's one last piece of good news. Well, there's more, but one more that we're going to focus on. And Isaiah more than hinted at it in the passage that I just read. Verse 12 says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. You'll notice I I chose the NIV there in this case, usually preaching from the ESV, um, and I I, I chose that, and I'll tell you about that in a second. Uh, So Jesus came to take away all of our fear, and he accomplished that by first entering into our fear, individually. identifying totally and completely with us. And finally, he takes away our fear by right here in verse 14. By, by what? By replacing our fear with his peace. That's what Isaiah foretold about him. This one who was rejected, despised, um, could have been fearful of Many things, probably more things than you and I were ever fearful of. Do you remember what he, what he prayed on the night before, praying and, and, and sweating blood before his crucifixion? 
I would say he was pretty afraid. Yeah, but he was God. Yeah, but he was man. Just like you and I. Just like you and I. So listen, this is a piece by which, and I love this, the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Have you experienced the glory of the Lord? How about the peace? This is why he came. He, he came to give this to us and to give us this kind of life. So one last thing. There's more to the how, right? There's more to the how Jesus takes away our fear. As I said already, I chose to use the NIV translation here for verse 14 because I believe it best conveys the, the spirit of the Greek in this text, and, and you will remember that when we looked at when the angel came to Mary, right? He said, oh, favored one, the one who God has favor on. And we realized at that time, it wasn't because Mary was a particularly good girl or she'd done anything real. No, that word in the Greek was the word karios, which literally means grace. Grace. Unmerited, unmerited favor. So that's the big how of how Jesus takes away our fear. It's by and through kerios, the grace of God, unmerited favor that he gives to us. It's free. Free for us to take. So the question for you and I this Christmas is this. Will we allow, will you allow, will you open your hearts to the glory of the Lord? Will you allow him to search light you that way? which will produce a healthy fear in you so that the one whom God sent, his only begotten son, can and will take away all of your fear by entering into our lives today, entering all of our fears and bringing lasting peace to our hearts, to our minds, and to our souls by the very grace of God. Will you? Will you do that? Friends, I want to suggest to you that if you and I will, well, then this may be a very, very Merry Christmas. And I'm not going to use the word happy. Well, I just did. A joyful new year. Pray with me, would you?